0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Did you know that Tuesday is Election Day? I saw something this week that said, uh, if Facebook asks me to vote one more time, I'm going to vote for Trump just to spite him. (laughs) Um, I figured since Tuesday is Election Day, I'd better start with a uh, with a political illustration just to just to get us get us in the right frame of mind. We we've been talking about being kingdom citizens, but in our attempt to be good kingdom citizens, we need not uh, neglect our responsibility to be good. Uh, earthly citizens as well, and part of that is the responsibility to participate in free and fair elections as we have in our nation. And so if you haven't voted already, then uh, make sure you uh, you go Tuesday and, and stand in line and get your sticker, your participation trophy. Everybody gets a sticker if they, if they go and vote. How many have already voted? Just raise your hand. My goodness gracious. Well, like they say, vote early, vote often, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this time last year, this is, a, this is a, we're going to the Wayback Machine right now. This time last year, we were in the middle of an impeachment inquiry for the President of the United States. Can you believe that was a year ago? At the center of the impeachment was the idea of quid pro quo, and we heard that, and we all suddenly had to learn a little bit of Latin to learn what that means, Quid pro quo means an exchange of favors. Probably the best explanation of quid pro quo comes from a movie that I, I can't recommend to you, but, uh, but it comes from a movie that starred Anthony Hopkins back in 1991, The Silence of the Lambs, when Anthony Hopkins was playing Hannibal Lecter, the, the cannibal. He, he was in jail, and, uh, and Clarice, the, uh, the FBI agent, came to visit, and he looked at her, and he said, I, I wish I could do his voice, uh, but it might give me nightmares if I tried... Quid pro quo, Clarice. You tell me things, I tell you things. And that begins the uh, the movie there. For the president, he was accused of withholding foreign aid to the Ukrainian government in exchange for some political favors. Uh, we know he was eventually impeached by the House. He was acquitted by the Senate, which is why he's up for re-election on Tuesday. As we approach Tuesday, we certainly hope for a, a honest uh, returns, honest election results, and we certainly hope for a, a peaceful, uh, peaceful days to follow, whatever whatever may come after Tuesday. Um, quid pro quo, as we learned last year, is not an immoral or an, or an unethical arrangement, except for when it is. Uh, parents are the masters of quid pro quo. If you are a parent, then, uh, then you are a professional. You can have a quid pro quo license, as a matter of fact. You use pr- quid pro quo on a regular basis. Uh, for example, if you've ever looked at your child and said, if you clean your room, I will give you ice cream. Uh, that is a quid pro quo. That is, a, that is an exchange of mutual favors. Parents get a clean house and the child gets ice cream. That is a quid pro quo you may be thinking right now that quid pro quo is the only thing helping you maintain order in your home and if that's the case don't worry you join the likes of parents all over the world your employment is basically a quid pro quo agreement you agree to work a certain number of hours in exchange for a paycheck of a certain amount. You agree to do a job to a certain level of quality, and they agree to let you keep your job. It's a quid pro quo agreement. We could argue that we encounter quid pro quo all the time. Some have gone so far as to say that the basic human network that we have is held together by a system of complicated and, and numerous quid pro quo Agreements I don't know that I could argue that point, really. Uh, one could argue that the Old Testament law was a kind of a quid pro quo agreement. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 26 through 28, we read these words, uh, "See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing." if you obey the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandment of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. If the Israelites obeyed, there would be blessing. If they disobeyed, there would be cursing. Again, that is a form of a quid pro quo. Now, while we recognize that that Latin phrase helps to define our relationships, it, it, it especially helps to solidify our professional interactions, even helps us to define and, and establish outcomes. This idea, when it comes to our spiritual condition, comes up very short. Because the fact of the matter is, is over and over and over again, when it comes to matters of faith, we come up short. Uh, don't forget Jesus' expectation from back in the last verse of Matthew chapter 5 is this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so the expectations are very clear. If you want to want to achieve all this, then you just got to be perfect. And if you do that, you're in good shape. So again, we understand that we're going to come up short every single time because we cannot reach that level of perfection. And if we can't keep our end of the bargain, then the deal in the quid pro quo is off the table. But that's where the good news of the gospel comes in. We can't keep our end of the bargain. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We miss the mark over and over and over and over again. And so God did what we couldn't do. He satisfied both sides of the equation. He satisfied both, both sides of this. Our righteousness wasn't perfect, so he substituted his righteousness for ours. That's why the gospel is such good news. The, the question that we have to answer, what do we do when the Bible, though, takes us back to this quid pro quo type of arrangement for salvation? How are we as Christians to to take this idea that is presented to us in Matthew's gospel here, how are we to take this idea and and understand this if we understand that quid pro quo is an inadequate arrangement when it comes to matters of faith? Well, that's our goal this morning. So let's turn our attention now to Matthew chapter 6. Following Jesus' teaching on the model prayer, we pick up in verse 14. I would invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word this morning from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Jesus says in these two verses, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive forgive your trespasses. Lord, this is a challenging passage for us this morning. We pray that you might help us to understand it in a way that draws us closer to you and helps us to achieve the goal here of granting forgiveness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. This morning, I want to dig into this idea of trespass just a little bit. You know, I think one of my greatest frustrations and and, uh, I can't stand trespassing. Uh, when, when people trespass onto property that I own, it's just one of those things that, that gets under my skin. I have this, this, this weird appreciation for private property rights. And so if you own property, you have a right to, to that being your property without other people uh, walking on it. Last year, uh, I remember we had people, we have woods kind of down below our house, and I looked out the out off our back porch, and there were a couple of people roaming through our woods. And I thought, you're in my backyard and so I walked down to say, "What are you doing?" I said, "Oh, we just want to come back here and take pictures." I was like, well, this is my space. This is my property. You are doing something that irritates me, and it's called trespassing. I don't appreciate trespassing. And and here the Bible tells us that we need to forgive trespasses. Now, does that mean is that talking about people who are on property that doesn't belong to them? That if we we need to forgive those folks, well, well, yeah. But it needs us, we need to take it a little bit further than that. It's a great word that Jesus uses here, this word trespass. It literally means a false step. A false step. Now, that's not all that exciting until you start to hang some additional information on it. There's another word in the Bible that's used frequently, and that word is the word for walk. And the two words are, are are very close. The Bible uses the word walk as a way of describing the life of a disciple of Jesus. We walk with Jesus. We we walk in righteousness. In Romans chapter six, verse four, in the context of baptism, we read these words. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The word walk describes how we carry ourselves as Jesus' followers. But what's interesting is in the original language, the word for trespass and the word for walk are like real close cousins. We were joking about the, the Parises up here, that they're all cousins or, or, or closer than that. And so, so the, the two words are real close cousins, walk and trespass are are real close. And what's interesting is that one one is an, an affirmation of how we should carry ourselves as Christians, and the other is a warning about taking just a simple false step. So this trespass, this false step, as the Scripture uses here, is anything that goes against that which is morally or spiritually appropriate. When it comes to all our relationships, we can choose to to walk appropriately or we can choose to take false steps. To trespass, and what happens is, is we know we're talking about sin here, but Jesus is giving us some some additional nuanced understanding of what sin is. And the Lord's Prayer, sin is described as a debt, as and we all understand debt. Debt is is something that we owe to someone else. And and in the Lord's Prayer, sin is described as a debt. But here Jesus takes that idea of, of a debt, and he and he adds some layers to it, and says it's a it's a trespass, it's a it's a false step, it's It's going in the the wrong direction. And so whether we're sinning against God or or we're sinning against our fellow man, trespassing represents our intentional decision to walk where we ought not walk. The problem, though, we've got to deal with now is is there's this apparent issue of, of quid pro quo that's at work here. If we forgive others, then God will forgive us. That meets the definition of a a quid pro quo. It it is exactly as as that definition would require. I don't know about you, that's a pretty scary thought. To, To know that our forgiveness is hanging on my ability to forgive, to know that your forgiveness is hanging on your ability to forgive if we stop right there, I mean we're we're gonna have a we're gonna have a little a kumbaya moment here. We're gonna have to start going around the room and I, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. But that's not exactly what it's instructing us here. If this passage were in a vacuum, we have a very scary proposition. But thankfully, this passage doesn't exist in a vacuum, and this is something that we need to desperately understand all the time, every time, even when you see somebody quote a verse. That, that, that's inspirational. We need to recognize this all the time. Scripture, the Bible, must always be understood in context. The Bible must always be understood in context. This needs to be stressed over and over and over again. In Sunday school classes, in discipleship groups, we need to stress over and over and over again that the Bible must be taken in context, and what's the context? That's, the context is where this passage falls in the grander scheme of the Bible and what the Bible says. And, and so immediately we have the context of the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray this as part of our model prayer. We, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We have this immediate context. And then Jesus elaborates on it in verse 14. For if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So in this prayer, Jesus is, is helping his listeners develop a very nuanced definition of sin, which is good for us because it helps to add to our understanding of the depth of our offense. You know, I think in our world, we've gotten a, a little too comfortable with the definition of, of sin, that, that, that we've got little sins and we've got big sins. We've got sins that, uh, that we won't commit. We've got sins that we're okay with we've gotten to that place today where where this set of sins over here we, we can manage. But if this set of sins over here is is a little more than we can bear. The reality is, is that all sin is an offense to God and all sin requires God's judgment because if God did not judge sin, God would not be just. And if God were not just, God would not be worthy of our adoration and praise. But the fact of the matter is that all sin, regardless of how small or how inconsequential it may be, it is an offense to a holy God and it, and it creates a divide between us and a holy God. And the only thing that can fix that divide is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to have a a bold and robust understanding of sin. Sin, for Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, is an unpayable debt. It is a dangerous, false step. But again, we still got this contextual problem. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will forgive you of your trespasses. So how do we get out of this notion that's given to us here that we must, be, we must forgive in order to be forgiven? Well, I think it's important here for us to understand a parable that helps to explain that. You can put your uh, bookmark there in Matthew chapter 6 and flip over just a little bit to Matthew chapter 18. Pastor Foss alluded to this in the children's sermon. Over in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, we find these words. Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Man, wouldn't you just love to have the answer to the first part of that question? How often will my brother sin against me? Is this ever going to stop? Am I, is this ever going to end? How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter, feeling generous, says as as many as seven times. Again, that's, that's generous. If somebody wrongs you seriously and you forgive them seven times, that seems very gracious. But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Again, if you're keeping count, then I would argue that you probably haven't forgiven the first time much less seven times. So, so we've got this idea that we have to continually extend forgiveness. It really is something, though, if you just stop and read through the Bible, how often there is this call to forgive each other. It's not a one-time thing. It's not something that's only taught here over and over and over again. We are given the instructions that we are to forgive. We are to extend forgiveness to others. We are to forgive the unforgivable. You could argue successfully that one of the standard currencies of the kingdom of God is the currency of forgiveness. It, it, it's it's necessary. It's required. You can't function as a kingdom citizen without having that currency in your wallet. Because not only do we receive forgiveness in Christ, we are reminded over and over and over again about our need to forgive others. And so if someone came in and said, "What is what is one of the main requirements to be part of the kingdom of God? You could say, well, I'll tell you one of the main requirements is the ability to forgive. One of the main obligations of being a kingdom citizen is having the ability to forgive. And so here Jesus is really telling Peter that forgiveness, it doesn't have a limit. It doesn't have a limit. Well, the parable continues there in verse 23. I want to read the whole parable because it's important for us. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We need to remember that that is an unpayable debt. That is more than your mortgage. That is more than all of our mortgages put together. It is an unpayable debt. He has acquired this amass, this massive debt. And it says that since he could not pay, and nobody could, Bill Gates maybe, but nobody else, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Well, he knew that wasn't true. There's no way he could pay everything. But look what happens. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, didn't release him to go get another loan, didn't release him to refinance the debt, released him and forgave the debt. That's remarkable. You know, we read this and think, oh, he just got, a, you know, he got his car loan taken care of. No, this is the kind of debt that would be saddled with someone that would cost them their life. And it was forgiven. I think one of the pieces we often forget about this is imagine the abundance of the riches of the master who has the ability to forgive such a debt. We, we focus on this servant, but I'm thinking about the king and, 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 and that he had the means to make that debt go away. Uh, again, the king here is God, and, and he has the means to make this unpayable debt go away in our lives. Well, what happened? Man walks away forgiven, extends forgiveness to everybody else he encounters. His life has changed forever. No. Verse 28, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's an inconsequential amount of money compared to the amount that this man had been forgiven. An inconsequential amount of money. And he found this guy who owed him a hundred denarii. He seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. this just got violent. But his fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him. Same words, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, what a, what a parable. You know, if the gospel were works-based, we might be tempted to believe that forgiveness is one of the works that we have to do in order to ensure that we're saved. However, we understand that the gospel is a work that God does in our heart. It is not a work that we do. It is a work done to us. In the parable, the the servant ran up an insurmountable debt. But in this stunning act of grace, his master forgives the debt. And, And everyone would correctly think, he's been forgiven so much. Then how in the world can't he help but go out and forgive others? And if you're thinking that, you're thinking correctly. That's not the case, though. In fact, he shows no grace at all. Again, the the consequences of being forgiven so great a debt should be your willingness to extend forgiveness to any who owe you anything. But that's not what happens at all. Because the parable here illustrates something very important. Though he was granted forgiveness his heart was clearly not changed. And the consequence of his heart not being changed is that he was unable to grant forgiveness to others. This gets to the root of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. It isn't a quid pro quo. If you forgive others, then I'll forgive you. Because what's happening is we're missing the first act of grace where God changes our hearts. And when God changes our hearts, we're like that wicked servant. We have an unpayable debt, one that we could never imagine imagine paying back. Our sin debt is so consequential that, that it can never be settled. But in a stunning act of grace, God looks at our sin debt and He says, it is all forgiven. That cross with the Savior nailed to it pays the penalty that you were due. He pays the debt that you owed and you are forgiven 100%. There's not a day that goes by that I don't benefit from the gift of divine forgiveness. But don't miss this next point. One of the clearest evidences of a redeemed heart is the presence of a forgiving spirit. Here's your diagnostic tool. Here's your spiritual checkup. And this helps to answer some very important questions. What is my heart condition? Am I truly a citizen of the kingdom of God? This is where the Sermon on the Mount gets real deep in our hearts and meddles around real fast. You're not reading these words and brushing these off the page and thinking that these don't matter. This is asking us to dig real, real deep into our spiritual condition. And it challenges us to answer these very hard, probing questions. You see, when we realize the depth of our sin, the, the expanse of our debt, the danger of our trespass, when we realize the, the magnitude of our, of our offense to the, to the holy God... And we understand how we have been forgiven. How in the world can we hold bitterness against others? John Stott said this, he says, Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. I love Matt Chandler. He says, says, how much of this stuff's going to matter 10,000 years from now? How much of the stuff that that gets us down in the dumps, the stuff that damages our relationships, the stuff that that we lose sleep over, the the stuff that that causes me to not look you in the eye, how much is that going to matter 10,000 years from now? You see, the essence of our Christian experience is that of cross-bearing. We take up our cross daily. And cross-bearing is a daily reminder of what we were due and the grace that we've been shown. Cross-bearing is a daily reminder that we are not the center of the universe, but Christ is. And when you bear your cross... How can you have anything but a forgiving spirit? I think we all understand this. An unwillingness to forgive becomes toxic to our souls. It's true. we sometimes lose our perspective. I mean, right in this in this, where this is kind of a lab where where here's the facts. Right? We've been greatly forgiven, and because we've been greatly forgiven, we therefore have to extend forgiveness to others. And so, so we've got this set of facts here that, that, that nobody's going to argue with this, right? I mean, I mean, no, no Christian's going to read this and say, yeah, oh, Jesus, I think you're wrong here. I mean, we read this, we all agree that this is, the, this is the Word of God, this is what it says. So we've got this set of facts that we affirm. But the reality is, is that sometimes the facts don't match our feelings, and sometimes the facts don't line up with our experience in day-to-day life. Sometimes the facts don't line up with the hurts that I'm carrying around, and so we have to reconcile the facts to our hurts. And sometimes in that process we lose our perspective. Because what happens when the offense is greater than we can bear? Or perhaps the offender was closer than anyone had been before. You know, if I pulled out on 193 here and somebody I didn't know cut me off and it made me mad and, and I blew the horn at them, I'd never tell them they were number one, but I might blow the horn at them. I'm angry, I'm mad, I blow the horn, I may lay into it a little bit longer than, based on how, mad I'm, how angry I am, but that person goes their own way and, and I go my own way and I don't lose sleep over it, right? I don't know who that is, I'm over it, we're fine. If it's somebody I know who does something more serious, that hurt takes on more, more roots. Uh, I don't blow my horn and I'm over it. it. It settles in my heart and settles in my soul. And I have to deal with that. And Sometimes we lose our perspective in that time. We know that the hurts that are caused by those closest to us can be the hardest to overcome we have to keep in mind some things in that in that regard the first thing we need to keep in mind is that forgiveness doesn't mean necessarily that our memories are suddenly vanquished it would be remarkable to have the mind of christ to be able to to not only forgive but to forget and to separate sins as far as the east is from the west Man, it would be great to be able to have that level of, of, of mind control that, that I not only forgive you, I forget the offense. And I, I have no means to remember it whatsoever. But God didn't build us that way. We don't have the ability to wipe the slate clean. The hurt is still there even when we have extended forgiveness. But you know what? The, the biggest obstacle to forgiveness is not our memories. It's not the fact that we, we, we can't forget what happened. The biggest obstacle to our forgiveness is typically anger. And we know that harboring anger and bitterness and rage and wrath is toxic. Not just spiritually, but doctors will tell you if you're walking around with anger and bitterness and rage, that it has physical consequences as well. And we certainly know that it has mental consequences. And the Bible affirms this for us. Psalm 37 verse 8 says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to. To evil. Meaning if you're holding on to anger, it is setting you in a trajectory that is not going to end in righteousness. James chapter 1 verse 20 says it very simply. The anger of man, it does not produce the righteousness of God. So you can walk around angry and you can walk around seeking wrath, and you can walk around with bitterness, but you're never going to get the righteousness of God with that. So how do we deal with that? Well, I could look at you and say, you know what, just don't be angry. It's kind of like a husband looking at his wife and saying, honey, you need to calm down. I don't recommend you try that there is a 100% chance that your wife will not calm down if you tell her to calm down. Guaranteed. It's not helpful for me to look at you and say, just don't be angry. You're you're overreacting, just just don't be angry. That's not helpful. You're going to be mad not only at the person you're mad at, you're going to be mad at me for not recognizing why you're angry. So what do we do with this? You know, as Christians, we need to not forget the fact that we have built-in help. The Lord Jesus even refers to this help as a counselor. You see, by God's grace, we're not destined to anger. And if we're already angry, we're not doomed to stay angry. But in order to overcome, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And even more so when anger is taken hold in our hearts. I think the last thing that we need to remember, and this is so important, forgiveness is different From reconciliation, consider simply the fact of this: that when God forgives our sins, He doesn't necessarily remove the consequences of our sins. I can think that when I was forgiven, that the 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 trajectory of my life, where there were already consequences being born, that those didn't immediately just disappear because I was I was restored, I was reconciled to God. You see, forgiveness isn't based on anything but your relationship with God and your changed heart. Reconciliation, however, is based upon the attitude and the actions of the one being forgiven. I think we sometimes mistake forgiveness and reconciliation and that's not the case because we all understand, we know people who've been through this. Sometimes you forgive and the marriage still ends. Sometimes you forgive and the friendship is never the same. Sometimes you forgive and the family reunion is still awkward. Don't let Satan convince you that those irreparable relational damages are because you haven't forgiven unless, of course, you haven't. Jesus' point here in the Sermon on the Mount is to define for us the character of kingdom citizens. And the irrefutable fact of the matter is this. Kingdom citizens extend forgiveness over and over and over and over and over again. How can they do such a thing? Because they understand just how much they've been forgiven. I love what Cindy Bill with Focus on the Family says. She says, We all make mistakes, we all have done things we regret. We all need forgiveness. And we all need to extend that forgiveness to others. Not just today, but every day. This morning I would ask, would you just take a moment to let the words of Jesus reach down deep in your heart Reach down deep in your heart and say, where is the bitterness? Where's the wrath? Where's the anger? Where's the unwillingness to forgive? And here the words of Jesus are medicine for our hurting souls. Because the words of Jesus say, take all of that bitterness, all of that anger, all that wrath, all that unforgiveness. And set it before the Lord. And say, Lord, look at what's been done to me. Lord, could, can you forgive this? And he sticks out his arms and shows you the scars left by the nails. And he says, I'll forgive it over and over and over, and over, and over again. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, your words can cut to the quick, but we understand that your words are medicine for souls that are sick and souls that are hurting. God we understand that we understand that there's relationships that are that are damaged and the world looks at those relationships and says they're too far gone there's too much hurt and God you look at the damage and you look at the hurt And you say, I died for that. I shed my blood. So that that wife could forgive her husband. So that that brother could forgive his sister. So that that parent could forgive their child. So that that co-worker could forgive their boss. so that that friend could forgive her friend over and over and over again. God, thank you for doing the work in our hearts, for forgiving us of that unpayable debt. But God, may we not be like that that unrighteous servant who walk away from our forgiveness and we do nothing but shoot anger and bitterness and wrath at those who've wronged us. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. thanks for listening if you would like more information about chattanooga valley baptist check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org if you would like to join in person we worship every sunday morning at ten we're just minutes from downtown chattanooga we hope to see you soon